0: Welcome to Lady in the Couch, a podcast about mental health and well-being, relationships, and topics specifically related to mental. I am your host, Autumn Collier, a licensed psychotherapist in Atlanta, Georgia. Let's have a seat on the couch. Welcome back. Today's episode, Why is Everyone Looking at Me? We are talking about social anxiety. And better yet, another way to reframe the title is I feel everyone's looking at me. So today is one of many episodes where we will talk about social anxiety and or generalized anxiety as there is a lot to talk about with these topics as anxiety is a very common disorder among the U.S. population. So just to give an overarching look at social anxiety, the essential feature of social anxiety disorder is marked or intense fear or anxiety of social situations in which the individual may be scrutinized by others. So it is this intense fear, worry about being judged negatively or perceived negatively by others. So have you ever had the feeling that everyone was looking at you, maybe in a crowded mall or grocery store? And this feeling is so intense and fear invoking that you may begin to sweat, sweaty palms or perspire your underarms or your forehead. You might then begin to avoid eye contact with others as you're walking through the crowded venue, maybe just holding your head down. And worst case scenario, you might even skip going out altogether out of fear of being in situations where other individuals may judge you. So as you walk through the store or crowded environment with people you don't know, you may begin to wonder if they can see the 50 things you feel are wrong with your outfit or your hair. As we all know, we are our biggest critics, and with social anxiety disorder, the biggest fear is being negatively judged by others. So we all feel shy or anxious sometimes. That is a normal thing to experience. But typical shyness does not persist to the extent of intense fear or anxiety in social situations where the person may be scrutinized by others. So this may fall more in line with social anxiety disorder, also known as social phobia. So what's interesting is, you know, you have many people say, well, I'm just shy um, in public situations, which again, shyness, definitely a thing. At some point, we all experience a level of normative shyness or social reticence. It's a common personality trait and shyness by itself is not pathological. However, when there is a significant adverse impact on social, occupational, and other important areas of functioning social anxiety disorder considered. What's interesting is that only a minority, approximately 12% of self-identified shy individuals in the United States have symptoms that meet the diagnostic criteria for social anxiety disorder. So a small amount of individuals who self-proclaim to be shy would actually even meet the criteria for social anxiety disorder. So another way to look at it is shyness does not equate to social anxiety disorder. People with social anxiety disorder may feel this extreme fear and worry about being negatively judged by others in many arenas, whether it's walking into a crowded restaurant or maybe being called on to answer a meeting at work or in the classroom. So we take maybe a scenario having to answer a question during a meeting at work. This may come with fear of being humiliated by not knowing the answer, even if you do know the answer. So in this type of scenario, what would we humans do when faced with fear or anxiety? The short answer is we do whatever we need to do to decrease the anxiety. So in this instance, with the individual at work, what they might do is avoid speaking during the meeting or they know that the upcoming meeting is happening where they may have to answer questions, that may be a great day for them to call in sick to avoid having to do this. You know, at the end of the day, we do whatever we need to do to keep our anxiety down. And in some cases, that means avoid. Not saying that it is a healthy coping skill. However, we do what we know to do to help the situation or what we feel is helping the situation. So let's talk about a few signs of social anxiety disorder, some signs or even criteria common to social anxiety disorder. So again, the main one is this marked fear or anxiety about one or more social situations in which the individual is exposed to possible scrutiny by others. So fear that your presentation in public will be negatively evaluated by others, leading to rejection and humiliation. So some examples of social interactions might be having a conversation or meeting unfamiliar people, Eating or drinking in public or where others could observe you, or even performing in front of others, so giving a speech. Extreme fear about social situations where you could be judged. Social situations almost always provoke fear or anxiety. Feeling insecure about everything you say and do while in social situations. And that might, you know, even look like after the fact, going back and replaying everything that occurred during the interaction, during the social interaction. So, yeah, I said this and I said that. Oh, I shouldn't have said this. So that might even include going back and replaying the whole social interaction after it has occurred. I should have said this or I shouldn't have said that. And just on a loop, on a replay loop of what occurred during the social interaction. Trying to be perfect while in social settings to avoid a perceived negative evaluation from others. Avoiding eye contact and interactions with others while in public. Experiencing physical effects or physiological effects such as rapid breathing, sweating, increased heart rate while in social situations. And then avoiding social situations altogether. Maybe the discomfort is so much that we'd rather just avoid these situations in order to keep our anxiety at a lower level. And the criteria I'm stating is primarily for adults. If we look at children, then there are some other things to note with kids, such as the anxiety must occur in peer settings and not just during interactions with adults. Or for children, their fear or anxiety may be expressed by crying or tantrums, breathing, clinging, things like that. So those are some of the signs of social anxiety. And I'll also point out too that there are different specifiers or social anxiety. And the primary one is if we are specifying if it is performance-only type. So some people may say stage fright or performance anxiety. And with the specifier performance-only type, this involves an individual having performance fears that are typically most impairing in their professional lives. So it could be most relevant to musicians, dancers, performers, athletes, or in roles that require regular public speaking. So performance fears, they may also manifest in work or school or academic settings in which regular public presentations are required as well. However, individuals with performance only social anxiety, they don't fear or avoid non-performance social situations. So they wouldn't avoid going out for drinks with their peers or be overly fearful in those types of situations. It's more so when they have to perform or get on stage or contend in an athletic match, something to that effect. So kind of that stage fright, that's the more layman term people might use, stage fright. Social anxiety is somewhat common with the 12-month prevalence estimate of social anxiety in the U.S. being approximately 7%. Social anxiety is also very treatable and can also see great return on improvement with, with treatment. And treatment can look like talk therapy, such as cognitive behavioral therapy. That's a pretty popular treatment for anxiety, including social anxiety. So despite social anxiety disorder being very treatable, I found it very interesting, according to the DSM-5, despite the extent of distress and social impairment associated with social anxiety disorder, only about half of individuals with the disorder in Western societies ever seek treatment. And they tend to only do so after 15 to 20 years of experiencing symptoms. So that is quite interesting, and 15 to 20 years is a very significant time to not receive treatment for social anxiety disorder, which is very treatable with good outcomes regarding treatment. And it could be the social anxiety that is keeping folks from treatment, possibly the fear of being judged for seeking out treatment. Maybe that could be kind of the catch-22 with social anxiety disorder, maybe not, but I just found that really interesting, that statistic about folks who see treatment And only do so after about 15 to 20 years of experiencing symptoms. So let's talk about a couple of tips, a few tips to help manage social anxiety. And this is not a catch-all list and does not substitute, you know, doing the work and seeking treatment with a professional. But here are just a few things you can do in the meantime. So tip one, inhale and exhale. That's right. So we are talking about some deep breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. As we become anxious, our breathing excites, our mind starts racing with thoughts and we often become tense throughout our muscles. So try taking full deep breaths as it allows more oxygen to enter the body and slow us down. So our heart rate begins to slow down. Once we inhale and exhale deeply, our heart rate begins to slow down and match the rhythm of our breaths. Soon our muscles relax. And our mind begins to let those anxious thoughts come and go instead of keeping them on a hamster wheel. So we're really working to kind of slow us down, slow our body down, allow our body to come back to its normative state, our regular baseline heart rate and breathing. Another tip, don't mind read. So mind reading is a thought distortion. It is a labeled distorted way of thinking as part of cognitive behavioral therapy. And I'll explain more of that is. So we want to ultimately take note of our thoughts and label them. So mind reading is an infamous thought distortion that everyone at any given time has used or has done. So mind reading is when we try to read the mind of others and tell ourselves what they are thinking about us. So it's essentially exactly what it sounds like, mind reading or fortune telling. We are reading We're trying to read what we believe others are thinking. So what that might look like is, oh my gosh, I just fumbled over my words. I bet they're probably thinking that I don't know what I'm talking about or they're probably thinking I'm lying because I keep stammering over my words or they may think that I'm not intelligent or don't know the answer. So we are trying to guess what others are thinking about us. And that is really difficult to do and detrimental also in how we present. It's just kind of a negative cycle that happens. So while we are presenting, presenting or speaking or engaging in a social situation, we're also trying to read the mind of the person or individuals in front of us and what they may be thinking about us as we continue to engage. So that becomes a cycle. So now, you know, if we're sitting here engaging with others, others socially, trying to think about what they're saying, which is now influencing us to engage a certain way to try to get a favorable response or reaction or evaluation from the individuals in front of us. That sounds like a lot. That probably sounds a little bit confusing, and it is. And that is what is happening within our mind as we're trying to perform, evaluate, perform, evaluate, change our performance to receive a better evaluation. And all we're going off of is what we're thinking because we don't have the evidence in front of us. We don't truly know what the person in front of us is thinking. So we are mind reading, we are guessing, and we're doing it from our own beliefs or core beliefs about ourselves that maybe we're even projecting onto them. So once we've identified that this type of thinking or this way of interacting is is a thought distortion, a distorted way of thinking, we are mind reading, then we can ask ourselves to try to come out of this state to provide proof or, you know, something I'll say oftentimes my clients is challenge the thought by saying, show me the evidence. Show me the evidence that people think that I'm not intelligent because I stammered over my words. Show me the evidence. Show me the proof. Show me the evidence that everyone thinks you don't know what you're doing. Well, you know, while I was talking, I saw someone shift their eyes to look over across the room. Okay. Show me the evidence that someone's shifting their eyes to look across the room means that I don't know what I'm talking about or that I'm not intelligent. And that's usually where we kind of thought, well, that doesn't have to mean that. I just interpreted it to mean that. However, that doesn't provide proof of what that meant. Right. So there's no concrete evidence. Then we can agree with ourselves to move on. So I know that's a very basic and simple explanation and it's not as easy as just that, just moving on. However, we first wanna be able to take note that we are mind reading and this is a thought distortion and then we roll into, okay, show me the evidence and then we keep practicing that and over time we build the muscle to decrease our mind and redirect ourselves. The next step to do is do the opposite. So when social settings make people anxious, the natural thing to do is avoid social settings and this will only bring about temporary relief And so the next opportunity to attend a social setting presents, when feeling the desire to avoid a social setting, that's when we want to implement, do the opposite. Do the opposite of what you feel. Yes, it will be uncomfortable and you will survive. And not only will you survive, you will increase your confidence that you can survive another social outing. Ultimately, we want to increase our resilience while using our skills. So we want to kind of build our muscle. You know, I typically say we don't want to avoid, you know, do the opposite of what we want to do. If we want to avoid, do the opposite. Because allowing ourselves to be exposed to situations allows us to practice using skills and therefore build our muscle of resilience and increase our tolerance so that we can handle situations. If we never allow ourselves to experience distress, then we truly feel that we can't handle it and we will avoid. We want to build our resilience to distress, build our tolerance to distress and know that we can handle it and allow ourselves to use our coping skills and strengthen our coping skills when these situations arise. If we do the opposite, if we avoid, then we won't give ourselves the opportunity to use coping skills. So we want to do the opposite. And if this sounds too scary, then if needed, you can see if a good friend will accompany you if it is something like a social event that you need to go to. But we don't wanna get become dependent on having to have a friend there. We ultimately wanna use our skills and build our muscles of resilience because they are there, they just have to be strength. The next tip, you are enough. So really embedding in yourself the idea that you cannot be perfect enough, good enough, or best enough. You, as you are right now, are enough. So we will make mistakes everyone may not give you rave reviews and that's okay we were not made to make everyone like us those that love you think you're amazing and that's enough so I get that hearing that repeatedly it is nice to hear and you know social anxiety disorder is a real thing that can still exist however while in situations where you're feeling your anxiety increase repeating to yourself or self-soothing So I know that simply telling yourself you are enough will not rid you of social anxiety. Totally get that. However, what you want to do is self-soothe by telling yourself, you as you are right now or I as I am right now am enough. And everyone's perception of me may not be favorable and I'm resilient enough to tolerate that. So reminding yourself that you can tolerate the distress because oftentimes our fear You know, our fear of receiving a negative evaluation and what that could mean, that fear is way greater than the reality. So self-soothing by repeating to ourselves some mantras to remind ourselves that we are resilient, we are enough as we are. And that answering kind of the what if, what if, you know, people negatively judged me Well, comforting yourself by saying I can handle it. All right. And tip number five, the last tip to help manage social anxiety is to tell someone. So share this with family or close friends or someone you trust. They may be able to offer support. There is no shame in being anxious in social settings. Trying to hide or suppress your anxiety can actually increase or create more anxiety. So tell someone for support that you trust as they might be able to be supportive in these situations. Secretly dealing with social anxiety can exacerbate the anxiety and ultimately make you feel worse. I hope that you're able to try some of these tips mentioned today for social anxiety and that, you know, support is always available for social anxiety. Skills learned in therapy are extremely helpful to decreasing the social anxiety. Treatment is extremely beneficial for social anxiety disorder. So as we wrap up, I hope you found these tips or will find these tips useful to help manage any social anxiety or even cope with feelings of shyness while out in social settings. For those, you know, who may not be dealing with social anxiety disorder, but more so just, you know, extreme shyness or shyness in social situations. So try giving these tips a try. Again, you know, these tips should not substitute seeking professional counseling if that is warranted for you. As a therapist and working with individuals, specifically women who deal with anxiety of many types, including social anxiety, it is highly treatable and treatment can yield very favorable outcomes. So I encourage everyone who is struggling with social anxiety to reach out to a therapist for help. All right. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Lady on the Couch. Feel free to share this episode with your friends on all of your social media platforms. If you are in the Atlanta area and seeking therapy, visit LadyInTheCouch.com to learn more. The content in this episode is not intended to diagnose or treat. It is for informational purposes only.